So what is it that you desire most? What do you want more than anything else in this life? The dictionary definition of the word desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. So naturally, when we have an object of desire, we make our life so it gets that thing that we want so badly. If it's financial security, then we save and we make money like crazy and we put it aside for a rainy day. If it's a long life, then we eat right and we exercise. If we want to be admired, then we succeed and we make sure people watch us succeed. If it's safety and comfort, then we live in a safe place near safe schools and we don't venture out much. Because these are the things that are the objects of our desire. And this morning what I want to do is I want you to point, to point you to something that is the most important thing, the most important object of desire, the most important person in the universe, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I want you to leave behind Christian duty and the thought that all your relationship with Christ is is to work in the church and to go to Bible studies. I want you this morning... To fall in love with Him. I want to elicit your affection for Him. Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in the text that we'll look at today. And by the time we leave here, I want you to make a decision. I want you to decide what you're going to do about Jesus. And I want you to have to ask the question of yourself, why would I give my life to Why would I chase after anything but Christ? Why would I desire anything else? That's how powerful the text is that we're going to look at this morning. It's simple, it's life-changing, and it's powerful. So take your Bibles, if you would, if you have your Bibles, and turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16. This is page 983. If you want to grab that Bible in the seat rack in front of you, you can also go to your Ridgewood app and you can just touch media, go to the study guide, go to the series on Colossians and today's date, and you'll see there Colossians 1, 16 and 17. So here Paul will explain to his readers in Colossae that Christ is far above any entity in heaven Or in earth. He will explain to them that he is, in a way, everything. And as we move together as a community toward Christ, if we understand this truth, then our Christian experience, our mission will be undergirded by love rather than guilt Rather than duty, rather than we have to, we will fall in love with Jesus and our lives will change. Our affections will be for Him and not for the things of the world. 
And when we read this text, we'll see very clearly why Jesus is the best thing. So look at verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Paul is speaking here about the preeminence of Christ. He's speaking here of Jesus having priceless value. Someone that we can pursue and orient our lives around. That is worthy of that pursuit. In a world that is grasping for our focus. That is trying to get us to turn our head away from the things that matter. And so we begin this morning with the truth that Paul lays out here, which is the basis of this entire thesis. And that is Jesus is the most important thing in the universe. Jesus is the most important thing in the universe. Period. And Paul's going to now back up that assumption Because Paul's description here of the Lord is breathtaking. And it's clear that he wants us to contemplate the awe of Christ. That he is all in all. But he also has another goal. And that is to confirm in his readers proper theology. Because there are false teachers hovering around that are trying to dissuade the Colossians. From this understanding of Christ. And that's the point he makes here secondly. Is that errorists sought to deceive the Colossians. Errorists sought to deceive the Colossians. And when I say errorist. That's simply someone who believes and propagates error. And in this case. It's come to be known as the Colossian heresy. The Colossian heresy is not very complicated. It's a lowering, a lowering of the sufficiency of Christ for salvation. And within it, it had a mystical component and a legalistic component. The mystical component was that you could obtain salvation through the worship of angels. And that Christ was either equal to or subordinate to angels. The legalistic part of it was that it propagated asceticism, which is severe self-discipline. It kept the Jewish calendar to the letter. And that Jesus was not all you needed to find salvation. And so what Paul needed to do was to take his readers and turn them away from these false teachers, back on to the person of Christ, who is all in all who is worthy of our desire, who is worthy of our pursuit. And what he's going to say to us this morning is, hey, don't miss Christ. Don't go through all your Christian ritual and miss the person of Christ. 
And so we see first here in verse 16 that Jesus is creator and the source of all things. Jesus is the creator and source of all things. Look at verse 16 again. We see that he is the source of creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so the the stunning claim that Paul is making here is that Christ created all things. He's not subordinate to angels. He's not equal with angels. He created them. And the heiress would have read this and said, wow, we're in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Because Paul exerted a lot of authority. And by the time this letter was being read, it was recognized as the word of God. This section closely aligns with John 1, 1 through 3, where John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is God, He is from the beginning. He is the direct cause of creation. Now, that's amazing. It's it's stunning. It's, It's something that you can barely get your mind around. That everything we see, including the person we look at in the mirror in the morning, is created by Christ. Now, if you look at our universe, it's very difficult to get our minds around this. If you look at a picture of the sun, for example, the sun is this amazing, incredible celestial being that is at the perfect distance from Earth, and it keeps us just warm enough, but not too warm. But the sun is so large that it could contain 1.3 million Earths in the sun. And our nearest star, aside from the sun, is Alpha Centauri, which is... 24 trillion miles away. 24 trillion miles. Only an immense creator could think of something like that and actually put it into place. That's Christ. It's Jesus. And as the Hubble telescope gives us a look at the Milky Way and the beauty of the Milky Way and the stars that are in the Milky Way, we know that there are hundreds of Billions of stars in the Milky Way alone. And even more to the point, astronomers believe there are billions of other galaxies. And they're not there by chance. They're there because Jesus put them there. Because He is the agent of creation. He is the source of all creation. And we've done Him such A disservice because we've painted him out to be this kind of weak, nice teacher who loves us but doesn't really have a lot more to do with us. That's not what Paul lays out here. Paul lays out this picture 
of this immense creator of the universe. But yet, the Bible does stop and tell us that this immense creator of the universe loves us deeply, loves you deeply. And sometimes when, when you're flying in at night or you're, you're overlooking a city and you see all those lights and you think to yourself, how could I ever be important to anyone? We can stop and remember that Christ died for us. He loves each one of us deeply and dearly. And so we aren't lost in the vast spaces of universe. We are part of it that God created through Christ and we are loved by Christ. So you're not just a random event. You're especially created by Jesus to be who you are today. And there are so many of us walking around with shame and self-loathing and wishing we could be someone else or be somewhere else. Listen, Jesus made you just like you are, put you right where you are, and he knows it and loves you. And for me, that's, that brings a lot of security. But, but another amazing reason that we can give Jesus all of ourselves, and, and have Him be the object of our desire, is that He created all principalities and powers. And so, the Bible is very clear here that every authority in the heavenly places has been created by Christ. That's what verse 16 is referring to here when it talks about visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. The invisible is the world of spirits. The phrase likely denotes a demonic hierarchy. And again, what Paul is saying is, how could angels have power over Christ when Jesus created them as part of his hierarchy? Demons are simply fallen angels. And Jesus is Lord over all unseen power. And there is unseen power. I was just reading through, dutifully reading through Joshua the other day, as I read through the Bible this year. Finally passed Deuteronomy, feeling really good about things until I hit another section of, you get this land and you get this land and you get this land and you get this land. And I'm going like, Lord, please don't, please don't judge me for hurrying through this as I scroll through my phone. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this angel appears and it's the commander of the Lord's army. What? And I kind of went back and read. And there's no, no announcement. It's just, hi, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And so there are principalities and powers and spirits that are all under the authority of Jesus Christ. And Paul makes this very clear as he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.21. He said that far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named and only in this age but also is the one to come, that's Jesus Christ. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. The problem with dominion theology is that Jesus has already won the territory. 1 Peter 3.22, 
tells us that Jesus is the one who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. And so Christ has already won authority over the spirit world. And yet we seem to shudder. And what Paul is saying here is very simply, Jesus is the one you should worship. Don't worry about these spiritual beings. Pursue Christ. Make him the object of your desire. He is the king of all of it. And so I would just counsel you to avoid focusing on over-focusing on the spirit world. Now, certainly, if we read more of Ephesians 6, we would see that Paul is telling us to gird up for battle. There's no question that there's a battle going on. Jesus prayed protection over his disciples in John 17. But we must also understand that at the cross, final victory was won for all time. Over the spirit world, over Satan himself. And so while we are oppressed and we are attacked, if we just simply walk with Christ, submit to his lordship, and if our affections are for him, then we cannot be touched by the spirit world. And I fear that we spend so much time worrying about what Satan is doing that we miss what Christ is doing. And so walk in victory. Be aware for sure. Pray heartily, but love Jesus. Because He is the Creator, He is the Source, He is the Lord over the Spirit world. And then Paul tells us, as if we needed more, that He is the goal of creation. So not only is He the source, but He's the goal of creation. Again, back to 16. All things were created through Him and for Him. And what I mean by for Him is for His honor and praise. And again, the hypothesis that Paul is defending here is that Jesus isn't just some ordinary angel. He's not some ordinary created being. He is God. And when you look at creation, your affections should immediately turn toward Christ. Many of you are going to be camping this summer and you're not going to be here. And I'll miss you on Sunday mornings. But we have live stream, so you can watch on Facebook in your tent. That's right. So now I'm going I'm to I'm shout out to you. Because I never know where you are. You're simply up north. <laughs> but when you look out at a night sky, when you look out over a sunset, when you... Look at our lush green farmland. Your affection should immediately turn toward Christ. That's what it means when Paul says that creation is for him. It is to bring him glory. It is to 
it is to have us fall deeply in love with Him. This isn't about Bible study. This is about love. It's about relationship. It's about understanding who Jesus is and being so taken with Him that we want to follow Him. So not only is the goal, but then Paul tells us that He is existent before creation. And this is where the errorists would have really started to struggle. Look at verse 17. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That means when the universe began, Jesus had already been existing in His deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Paul is pounding home this idea that Jesus is not human. And his readers would have understood that if you're telling us that Jesus was existent before creation, the only answer to that is that Jesus is fully God. He is not a created being. Paul is obviously deeply taken with Jesus. For Paul... This mission that he's on isn't about... Yeah, yeah, he was tapped on the shoulder by Christ on the road to Damascus. And he was definitely given a calling. And if you read through First and Second Thessalonians, you just see this incredible devotion to his calling. But it's based in his love for Christ. It's based in his deep devotion and love for the person of Christ. And so, he said to them, listen, if you have this proper theology, if I can teach you the doctrine of Christ, then you will not be susceptible to this false teaching, and you too can have this deep devotion that I have to Jesus. Paul said often, if I could just be with Christ, oh, wait a minute, I'm needed here for a while longer. If I could just be with Jesus, oh, no, no, I've got more to do here. He was always in between because he loved Jesus so much. And that's what he's trying to elicit here. I mean, you look, at the, you look at the aspects of Christ, the source of creation, the Lord over angels, the goal of creation, existent before creation, and then he tops it all off in 17 with this idea. Jesus is sustainer of creation. Look at 17, and in him all things hold together. The truth of the matter is, without the hand of Christ on creation, everything would blow apart. We're watching these terrifying images from Hawaii. And I read the story this morning that people in Oregon and Washington are all watching this closely because they're all a part of this same sort of thing, this volcanic thing, which is a very scientific name for the volcanic thing. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, as horrifying as that is and how destructive it is and how we grieve for those people, the hand of Christ is on all of that. And if it was not for his hand of protection, the earth would blow apart. 
the earth is so tightly wound and, and the universe is so perfect. Uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer is a, is a Ph.D. He's an astronomer, and here's what he said about how the earth is put together. Take the expansion of the rate of the universe, which is fine-tuned to one part in a trillion, 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 trillion. I'm assuming that's quite perfect. Those of you who know what trillion, 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 trillion means. That is, if it were changed by one part in either direction, a little faster, a little slower, we could not have a universe that would be capable of supporting life. Who is holding that all together? Paul's very clear. It's Jesus that's holding it all together right now. So the person that we pray to, the person that we're worshiping, this isn't just some sidewalk prophet. It's the king who's holding the entire universe together in the palm of his hand. It's amazing. He's the best thing. So, as we look at this, we can see in Hebrews that the Apostle makes it really clear. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So you have the Creator, you have the goal, you have the one who holds it all together. You have this immense, eternal being named Jesus Christ who can be the object of our desire. And I'm here to tell you that if you make Him the object of desire, your life can change. This truth can change your life. And let me tell you how it can change your life. First, The preeminence of Christ can provoke a sense of awe. And it should provoke a sense of awe. We can no longer, if we grasp this truth, we can no longer live ordinary Christianity. We cannot just settle for the rhythms of church life. We must pursue the person of Jesus Christ, which is frightening. Because the rhythm of church life is safe. And it's predictable. Jesus is not. But if we love him and believe in him, then we can pursue him and he will change our life because of awe. Secondly, the preeminence of Christ can provoke a sense of gratitude. What if? What if he took his hand off of creation? What if he had chosen to be an unloving, powerful force? What if he hadn't come to dwell among us, to give his broken body on the cross, having left his immense throne room in heaven and come and died and rose again and offering life to all who believe? What if he hadn't done that? We would have no hope. It should provoke a sense of gratitude in us. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's all because of the work of Christ. Thirdly, the preeminence of Christ can provoke a sense of security. So what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of terrorism? Are you afraid for your health? Are you afraid for your children? Are you afraid financially? Are you just afraid? The fact that Jesus is holding the universe in the palm of his hand should tell you it's going to be okay. 
but not necessarily okay in the way you think it will be okay. But it will be okay. Because he knows it all, he has it all. He's literally holding the universe in the palm of his hand. Don't you think he has your future worked out? Don't you think he loves you enough to know what's next for you? And cares about that? And so, this also provokes a sense of purpose. We know why we get up in the morning. We get up in the morning to love him, to further his name, to serve him, to... to, to fall more deeply in love with him by just taking that relationship and deepening it through prayer and through thought and through examining who we are and who he is. And then to tell others about him, to glorify him through our lives. And that's the last point here is that the preeminence of Christ can provoke a passion for the gospel. How can we learn all of this? This is the word of God. And not say to ourselves, other people need to hear this. Because people are afraid. They are hopeless. There is drug addiction. There is suicide. People don't know where they belong. They think they've been taught by culture that they are just a little cog in this vast scheme of things and they don't matter at all because they came from some slime somewhere. We've got to teach them that they are made in the image of God. They are created by Christ. And we've got to do it together as a team here at Ridgewood Church. So that's why we keep pounding on you. Get involved. Because people need to hear the news that Jesus is the most important thing. And so I ask you again this morning, What is the object of your greatest desire? What do you want more than anything else? Is it Christ? Or is it all of the things that swirl around us that take all of our attention? As you think that question over, I'm going to pray. We're going to watch a video. And then maybe we'll get some answers to that question. God, I just pray this morning that you would help us to fall deeply in love with Jesus. I pray this morning, God, that you would help us to know that our lives are in the hand of Christ. I pray that you would help us to understand the depths of your power and your goodness and your graciousness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.